Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to your latest episode of the Feminist Book Club podcast. It is me, your delightful and recently pregnant host, Natalia, who is taking a break from maternity leave to interview the inimitable, the wonderful Yulia Mandel about her book, The Fight of Our Lives, which is coming out very soon and is just such a good primer, especially if you don't know much about the whole conflict between Ukraine and Russia and you want to get an insider's view. Yulia, thank you so much. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Natalia, for having me uh, in front of all your greatest audience. I'm very excited for this talk. So give me the elevator pitch for this book. How did you pitch this book to editors and publishers? I always love asking authors this because how you guys describe it isn't always the way that we would describe it as like readers. So I wanted to talk about Ukraine and my time with Zelensky, and I really pitched about how we try to achieve peace in Donbass that Russia um, invaded in 2014. But then I saw that the publishers were interested in my personal story as a person who is from poor background, coming from Russian-speaking region, speaking Ukrainian, winning the contest of 4,000 applicants to become a press secretary, fighting corruption. And that's how it actually led to hold this book, which is my personal story that shows the story of my country. And it's like chaotic, difficult path to democracy. I absolutely love that pitch. Can I just say reading about your application to become the press secretary made me sweat as I was reading it. I was like, oh, no, is she going to get the job? And <laughs> <laughs> which is so stupid because I know that you got the job, but here we are. So I wanted to start off with this amazing intro that you have in the version that I have. It's got like this, pre this preface, it's the note from the author. And it talks about how Ukraine is an ancient land inhabited since prehistoric times and how Ukrainians can trace their European roots back more than a thousand years to a settlement where Kiev now stands a great medieval state was born later known as Kievan Rus, which I'm not sure that I'm saying that right. So please correct me. But the next- You're good. Oh, thank you. The next paragraph is my favorite. It says, over the centuries, the vast territory of Ukraine with its rich agricultural land, its steppes, seacoasts, and forests, weathered incursions from both land and sea and from nearly every direction, it endured and outlasted temporary rule by invading powers, many attempting to suppress and dominate our people. Though these empires are long gone, traces of them remain in our unique Ukrainian culture and our proud identity as a multi-ethnic, multi-religious European nation. What a boss way to describe your country. Like, breathtaking. I Write up the biography of my country, please. But it, I thought it was such a great way to start the book because you're very clear then setting your intention that Ukraine is not just a post-Soviet county almost. It is its own country that is ancient and has stood the test of time. And now you're taking, 
I don't want to say first steps because that's very demoralizing and not accurate, but you're taking steps into the 21st century as the navigators of your own path after a really long time of not having that ability. So you then say later on that it's difficult to build a state when you're starting not from scratch, but from something that has already been thoroughly worn out, ripped off and smashed up. It is no easy task. And I think that the juxtaposition of those two ideas, that you are an ancient culture, an ancient people, you have withstood the test of time, but at the same time, withstanding all of that has led to consequences of your own Ukrainian identity and how the country defines itself on the global stage was just so wonderful. So I kind of wanted to talk about that, you know, as you've gotten some time away from being the press secretary, you've been able to take a step back and reintegrate into society as a regular, a regular, I say with air quotes, Ukrainian citizen, you know, how do you feel about the job that you did helping to create that identity under Zelensky and push this new, new Ukraine forward (laughs) on the world stage? Well, first of all, let me say that I'm so happy that you focused on this for the reason that we spent literally months discussing what the note should be. And we were thinking if it's a correct thing to say, to start from Kiev and Rus, which was like centuries ago, you know, and if we go in this complicated history, then we can get lost, but the book is not about this. And I insisted that we need to tell that we started long, long ago. We're like a really, really old nation. So I'm really happy that you appreciate this. Uh, the second thing, like, let me just um, humbly uh, <laughs> correct you that I didn't create Ukrainian identity. Yeah. I'm not that bossy. I'm not that bossy. Like, uh, this is the Ukrainian nation, Ukrainian people and Ukrainian heroes who created it through the history. I was just, you know, lucky to to describe it and lucky to have it out right now when it's, I think, the most perfect time. I will be clear when I'm saying this. This means that our conflict with Russia started really long, long ago. We Ukrainians consider that we have this conflict for around 400 years, for you to understand. And uh, longer than the United States has been a nation <laughs> by more than, I think, 200%, if my math is right. But let me tell you, like my, my husband, he loves history. And he showed me uh, a piece uh, of uh, a Russian uh, National Guard who wrote uh, this piece in 1812, saying that he was traveling in Ukraine. That time it was called differently by Russia. Uh, and that he said, I need to be like in Russian Empire but I'm like in different country. Everything is different here. Like, I don't understand the people's language. I don't, uh, they eat different food. They speak different language. They, they behave differently. They wear different uh, clothes. They build different homes. We have been different from Russia, like for all our life, but Russia has been trying to suppress and to influence our identity for all this time in different forms, yeah. uh, form of Russian empire, then Soviet union, now like, 
like Moscow Kremlin independent state, you know, you see what they are doing like there. And this is very difficult for the reason, you know, there were different forms of this, this suppression. There was slavery. Uh, yeah. It was called differently, but we had this uh, huge slavery. There was uh, uh, artificially created famine uh, oh, where four that- million four million of Ukrainians died. Um, is that the Holodomor? Is, am yeah. I saying that right? Absolutely right. Yeah, Holodomor. The, like my grandmother was going through that. It's like one of the biggest traumas through generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, had, uh, you know, our language banned for dozens of times, like 40 times. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, different forms of this suppression. And on one hand, it's very difficult to say that we are not victims. Mm-hmm. But this is the point that we are not. Because victims, if you recognize that you are a victim, you lose immediately. The moment yeah. you recognize, you lose immediately. We are not victims. We've been fighting all this time. And what you see right now on the screens of your television, this is something that we were going to for you know all our life. And the only reason why Ukraine stood up because we don't feel victims. We feel like we are fighters who will fight back because we have what to fight for. Exactly. And this is very important. And that's why Russians are running away right now. Because we... I saw that in the <laughs> news recently. Oh, I'm like, they're just dropping their guns and fleeing. Freaking awesome. Good. Flee some more. You know, and you make a really good point about the language that you use. Because throughout the book, you never ever give Ukraine a subservient position. You position the people, you position the government, you position everything as warriors, as you use this very active language, this very, I don't want to say confrontational because that's not the right word, but this very like forward presenting language that says, no, 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 no. You cannot put me in a box, nor can you put our people in a box. And I think that throughout history, when one empire tries to subjugate another, you're absolutely right. The minute that those the subjugated population concedes to that subjugation, the fight's lost. But as long as there's been a spark, a group that says, no, we are not going to go easily into the night, you know, you've got that hope for rebellion. And I that is very evident throughout the book. Freedom is very costly. Yes, absolutely. There was so, there's so much to talk about and we don't have a ton of time and it kills me because I could talk to you about this all day. But there was (laughs) something that you brought up that I think really applies thinking about the US 2022 midterm elections and kind of just where the world is positioned right now. You think about everything that's going on just kind of globally. You talk about millennials and government. And it's the same kind of language that you use, how millennials are not interested in the prohibitions or the what would people say of the old guard, but they're ready to break that kind of binary thinking and just do for the people what they need to do. I have to ask if you think that as politicians, as government employees, as the population gets younger in Ukraine, and maybe even in Russia, thinking about the soldiers who are just dropping their weapons and they're like, wait a minute, this is not my fight. This is not what I'm here to do. Do you think that there's going to be a better chance for improved relations? Or do you think that at least there will be a moment where people 
not on both sides of the aisle, that's not right, but where Russians can respect Ukrainians' independence and Ukrainians can let their politicians grow the country forward without all of that Soviet era baggage. That was a really long way of asking if you think that millennials are going to make things better, but you know, (laughs) without being so ageist as it were. I'm not the correct person to ask this question because I think there are Russians who need to answer these questions because everything would depend not on the generational difference, but on the uh, way how Russians are gonna perceive. Are they gonna actually admit what has been done? Mm-hmm. Are they gonna be responsible for what has been done? Responsibility is reality. Yeah. You know, if you just try to ask for forgiveness and try to maintain relations without responsibility, it's something abstract. It's when you don't recover from trauma, but you just, you know, try to hide it. That's why it depends a lot on future Russian uh, behavior. And if they have got these new generations who are open to admit. I was talking a lot about Germany. Uh, Germany has done amazing job on uh, passing this trauma, right? They admitted that they were Nazi. They mm-hmm. admitted that they were doing cruel things and they actually opened for the world to say, look, we are different, different right now. And this is super important work that Russians need to do. And I'm not sure that I've seen any sign from their side right now. I hope it's too early to talk about that. Yeah. But if you talk about millennials, somebody said that millennials is the generation uh, that is going to save the world (laughs) well I hope it's true yeah I'm a a proud millennial (laughs) (laughs) as a millennial it's a lot of responsibility to hold on our shoulders right but it's funny that you say that because I was thinking about the passage in the book where it's Russia Germany France and Ukraine are in the negotiations oh I want to say it was the Normandy format yep you're right and Zelensky was very clear throughout the entire negotiation process about the accountability that Russia needed to take. And you said, and I'm paraphrasing, that when you were looking at Putin, this man who was responsible for so many acts of terror, for such horrible things, that the only thing that you saw, like seeing him in person, was old age, old ideas, old styles of of governing, old everything. Meanwhile, Zelensky was asking for accountability, requiring accountability, and he was getting buy-in from Russia or from Germany and France as, as other members of this negotiation team. That must have been for you, especially as somebody who came from a Russian speaking area and had all of that, these bits that make up your history, right? That must have been so empowering for you to see, to see your leader kind of say, no, 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 no. We're not going to let you just stomp all over us and push this forward. We're going to do it now. I wonder what that moment was like for you personally, not for you, press secretary Mendel, but just Ulia Mendel from Kirsten. It was uh, very personal for every member of our delegation. I remember these very well in details. We were like first sitting there without breathing. We didn't know how it will start. Putin has developed an image of such a strong man, a dictator, a monster, you know, mm-hmm. but in fact, nobody, because of 
that he's just like ordering he doesn't want to listen to something contradictory he became weak as a personality you know he cannot openly talk he cannot defend his position anymore and what was amazing to see from the point of view of Zelensky negotiator is he's this very wise strategy to be very diplomatic but at the same time if he sees that there is no the response he wants to see he keeps repeating the same thing mm -hmm. like he says that Putin says no it's wrong we're not there like and, and that's it and he closes the question and Zelensky says perhaps I said something incorrectly I did not develop my thought in the right way let me repeat once more right and Putin tries to hide again and he says well you know we all are metric people here so what I meant actually, and he repeats it again, you know, and then Putin sits there and he feels uncomfortable, you know, and probably he tries like to move on his chair, but he understands that it's not going to finish mm -hmm. until they are done. And Zelensky is not gonna, going to bring it to the end until, you know, they, they agree on something that he wants. And that's how actually, yeah, we changed that, Zelensky, I mean, changed then three positions in communique which benefited Ukraine. There was one point where you said that Putin was standing in the corner of the room with his press secretary and wasn't talking to anybody else. And I'm like, what? Literally. What a good picture. <laughs> I had exclusive pictures that I, unfortunately for me, I lost, but I was standing near Zelensky, Macron and Merkel all chatting, you know, having this nice dialogue, preparing for the press conference. And Putin was standing like in different uh, room with his press secretary alone. Yeah, right. I mean, this is the biggest picture. What else yep. do you need, right? Exactly. It's like when you govern the way that Putin governs, and I use the term very, very loosely, <laughs> at the end of the day, your position is the weak one because you have to inspire fear. And otherwise you're always going to lose. You're always going to lose at the end of the day. Well, thank you so much for your time. I so recommend the book, the fight for our lives for everybody, whether you, I knew nothing, I knew very, I don't want to say I knew nothing. I knew very little about kind of Russian-Ukrainian uh, interplays outside of what was reported in Western media. And now reading this book, I've got like four other books, <laughs> Ukrainian like history and all this stuff on my TBR list. So you've opened up a whole new area of research for me. And I appreciate that. But I really, really recommend The Fight for Our Lives for anyone. And Yulia, thank you so much for giving us your time. I know you're on a whirlwind press tour right now. And we, we just appreciate it so much. If people wanted to follow you or to keep up with your writings, I know you freelance and post things in American media. Like I know you did a piece for the Washington Post Many in pieces, August yeah. and you know, New York Times and all of that. So if people wanted to keep up with you, where could they do that? Well, I'm mostly posting on Twitter, mostly tweeting, right? So I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, yeah, it's Julia Mandel. I'll be happy. And I'm even answering personal messages if it's possible, because right now I see I'm bombarded with this message. So, you know, <laughs> when, when I can. But anyway, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you liked it and so it. exclusively interested interesting questions thank you so yes. much i'll be happy to stay in touch if you message oh, me on twitter i'll be happy i to sure respond. will <laughs> I, you're gonna regret that and real soon real soon <laughs> readers feminists podcast lovers 
keep an eye out for the show notes. I'll have a link to Yulia's Twitter account. I'll have a link to the book. And I'll also have a link to a piece that actually Yasi, one of our contributors, did on the blog about the conflict in Ukraine and all of that. So we'll get a little multimedia with it. But yes, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a